Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, all right. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to have you here, man. Another edition of Moving the Rock. Dude, glad to be here. I love that we're jumping into catching up with each other, and we've just happened to have hit the record button. So <laughs> since you and I last talked by text, something pretty cool happened, and uh, it's those little moments that are really big moments for our kids. Tell me, tell me yeah, what you were texting yeah. about, man. I want to know more about it. Yeah, proud, proud dad moment, and just super exciting for the family and for my daughter. Uh, you know, and let me step back a second though. We were talking about focus, mm-hmm. and um, and we all know how we can get heavily focused on work. This was one of my daughter had a my daughter's my daughter's in field hockey, and we we had a field hockey game this week. Great and, and a really great experience there, but the game was wasn't scheduled to the last minute. And so it conflicted with my calendar. It started at five o'clock. I couldn't get there until probably about five 30, mm. but I'm at my desk wondering, should I even go, should I go anyway? Right. Mm. <laughs> I really had that thought. Um, and, uh, it was a tournament game. The season's over. Now they're into tournaments. And I was even wondering whether she'd play or not. Mm. Um, and I really had no idea how, valuable she was to the team until I, until I got there. Uh, and I've been watching her all year, but she's actually moved up to varsity for this, for this tournament. So she moved up from JV. It's a tournament game. There's probably 15 girls in the team. Will she even play? And I was making excuses where I was looking for the excuse to stay home, Chris, right? (laughs) But I, uh, I got in the car and I made it there and, uh, the game ended in a zero-zero tie, and they had and they had a ten-minute overtime, and it was sudden death. And uh, what was amazing to me was that she was, and they actually have one less player during overtime, so she was one of the she was a starting five in overtime. So up from JV, starting five in her typical defensive position, but because you're you're in sudden death, everybody's on offense, mm. right? They um, they won the uh, the faceoff. They uh, were in the opponent's um, end of the field immediately, and within about 15, 20 seconds, um, she was at the post, and and uh, the ball came free at the net. It was it, and the ball came to her at the at the perfect moment where she could get a square whack from the. Uh, from her field hockey stick and sent that ball into the back of the net like like a lightning bolt, man. It was like a bullet coming out of a gun. It made a huge bang and then hmm. the crowd went mad. It was mm. incredible. Mm. I'm so glad you got to see that moment and, yeah. and didn't miss it, man. 
Yeah. It wouldn't have been the same on the phone. <clears throat> Lots of lessons there. No, it wouldn't have been the same. And, you know, as soon as I saw it, I couldn't believe I saw it. It was one of those moments. Mm. And I'm looking around for everybody else to kind of confirm that I saw what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> so my eyes are like, I'm, my eyes are watering. I'm looking at my wife. She's kind of like reserved. I'm looking at my dad. He's kind of reserved. I'm like, wait a minute. Did she, you know, who got that in? That was your daughter. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I was, it was all confirmed and uh, it was just really exciting. And then the team, because they had worked so hard in a, in a, in a, in a zero, zero draw before this play, the team just went nuts and they all, um, you know, gathered together in the field and all around my daughter, Eleni. And uh, mm. it was amazing. And you asked a great question after we talked about this a bit, which I thought was really interesting and, and may have something to do with today's topic. Remind me the question. Well, oh, was, I, never, I the, remember now. I remember yeah. now. Yeah. Was it her effort or was it the team that got yeah. that? Yeah. And, you know, we actually, she and I actually talked about this that evening um, on her way to bed. And because she had, you know how it is today, right? You do something great. It's all over social media. Your friends are congratulating yeah. you, so forth. You know, the next day at school, they announced it on the on the PA system that they you know made it to the tournament. They mentioned her by name. All these great things, and you know, and um, you can get lost in the idea that when a team when a team plays, you know, and, and somebody does something great, that you've experienced this heroic moment, and you might even convince yourself that. If you're a player on a team, you have to, if you're going to be valuable to the team, you have to bring up mm. and create those heroic moments. Mm. And I remember speaking with her about, you know what, you know, the reality that she wouldn't have been in the, what about her coach that put her in the, in the game? Mm. What about the coach that thought enough about the, the complexity of the opponent they were playing, mm -hmm. the complexion of the, um, the uh, end of the the um, beginning of um, overtime, sudden death, the dynamic of the team members that were out there, their skill sets, and the coach thought enough to put somebody from JV who was just up, who had a great game, in as one of the top starting five. Think about that yeah. from a coach's perspective, you know, from your perspective as the leader, and then think about everything that had to happen to make sure that she was in a position to make the shot. Freaking awesome. A lot of parts and pieces that people skip over and don't think about it. And uh, she got from the benefit of all that coordination, all that teamwork, everything that's happening. Then the moment, you know, happened that she'll remember forever. Right. The moment she'll, ha she'll remember forever. And the moment that every team member was hoping for somebody yes. puts the game away. Yeah. And so I, for me, this is such a powerful message for our world today because you know, we're, we're, we're kind of tired of the one man show of heroics. We know that that is a farce and, uh, it's not about that anymore. It's a, it's a more composite picture. And that's what makes me so excited about today's episode, because I think you've come up with something really beautiful to express that. <clears throat> and, and now we can say at a high level, look at the meaning she takes out of that, the team takes out of that, you take out of that. So in a world of pain, in a world of hurt, in challenges and stress, meaninglessness, a meaningful right. moment occurred. Super cool. Right. right. 
Yeah, there's there's so many dynamics here because uh, you know the the game was so important to the team that you know when you when you think about the parents who have you know made a commitment as well as the kids to that season, mm-hmm. there was so much coaching and yelling and screaming from the audience during that game <laughs> that just. You know, again, this idea of meaningful versus meaningless, you know, the, the, the parents who were yelling, you know, over and over uh, coaching advice from the stands as if the kids didn't know, mm-hmm. right, um, who were just looking for the win instead of the meaning behind what they were doing, right? Think about the growth that these kids were achieving. Think about the requirement to figure out how to uh, become a great team, not just to achieve that, those heroic, you know, multiple heroic efforts. Um, if all you do is focus on in sales, if all you do is focus on the transaction or the money, uh, you're going to lose the meaning of what you're doing. If all you're doing is, is focusing on uh, uh, the outcome, then you're losing the meaning of the process of building that team, developing the mastery required to become successful. And you don't create a sustainable mechanism to achieve success over and over for a lifetime. You're just investing in a moment. And by helping her think about you know, the bigger picture that she was part of, the conclusion that we came to uh, was, this, was this idea that she did her job. Mm. You did your job. And you know what? The coach did her job. And your other four team members did their job. And by the way, the re- whole rest of the team that achieved the the shutout did their job right because you were mm-hmm. able to get to the overtime because of everyone else mm-hmm. um so for her the meaning there was this idea not the heroic effort but doing your job and for me and for you it's about this idea of thinking about the leaders right who understand who they have on the team understand the roles they need to be filled align those leaders, align those people with the proper role, and then develop those people in those roles so they can have those moments of success and so the team can have that sustained level of success. Mm. I love it. I love that way of framing it. I love the depth of that analogy. It's like, yeah, thinking about all the contribution the team members made up to that point. And uh, it's refreshing. It's refreshing for us today because we can understand that we don't have to be, we don't have to carry all this pressure in such a way that we have to be a hero, that we don't have meaning unless we are the hero. It's something we're a part of where we get to share that distributed weight. And yeah, there are moments to step up. She was ready. All of her work that she's done when no one was looking mattered. So in that way, she was her own hero. And if you're your own hero, then you get to be a part of everyone having a meaningful moment. Right, right. So one of the things that, that's, that this connected us to, I think, during our conversation before the, sh- before the show was one of the things that we talk about when we help organizations achieve growth. Uh, now, we're talking specifically in our world about sales organizations, but this doesn't have to be limited to just sales and selling. Uh, if we think about the implication of this story on companies, mm. um, and we oftentimes deal with companies um, that are in transition. So they're either experiencing or wanting to continue to experience a high sustained level of growth. We would call them growth companies. Or they're big organizations that want to achieve that growth company status by outstripping the growth trajectory of their competitors or the other folks in their industry. And so this would apply to, 
you know, 100 divisions of a $140 billion company that we've worked with to a startup and everywhere in between. But if you think about um, the organization as it stands today, most organizations, especially those that are seeking growth and pursuing growth, are full of amazing individuals who come together under the under the banner of that company to achieve great things the challenge is how do you how do you help that organization get even better how do you help those individuals become even more powerful and reach even higher levels of of their own potential i love going back to the analogy of the sports team and i love going back to the idea of what is it that creates a team? What is it that defines a team? And I come back to this idea of having discrete roles that are part of an organizational structure that are designed to achieve a certain outcome. Doing your damn job. Do your job. Mm-hmm. One, one part of that is the leader putting you in a position to be successful. The other part of that is for you accepting that role and achieving a higher level of mastery and executing that role so you, you can you can again, help that team, that organization, achieve what might otherwise be thought of as impossible. Mm. I I resonate with this so much because emotionally for me, there were two flaws that I made in an organization and many others, but two major flaws in in the approach that I had. Working with a leader who was unhealthy, and I tried to make up for that lack of health with what? A heroic effort. And, and I'm going to carry everything on my back and I'm going to take care of us. And, you know, playing into this narrative of, of what I wanted to have happen. I want to be the hero. And so was able to do something heroic and keep uh, a fracture, a disunity, uh, a loss of, you know, just the organization really, lo- the organization losing itself from happening. That, that did not happen for a few years. And then the second mistake I made was thinking my heroic effort could make up for the lack of health in the organization. And, you know, upon leaving, and that was not a fun experience, it was dramatic, upon leaving, it all went back to how it was before. All of my, and I'm putting this in air quotes for people who can't see it, heroic effort was wiped away so fast. And going forward, healthy organizations, healthy sales teams, it's not going to be about that person who believes one of those two lies. It's about my heroic effort, and it doesn't matter what's happening around us, you know, in our culture as an organization and whoever the VP of sales is, whatever structure. I can lead in such a way that we will be redeemed. We'll be okay. And it's, it's the story with your daughter. It's everybody working together, and it's doing their job, doing their part. This is the way forward. This is the message that I think so many are hungry for. We're tired of putting ourselves against the wall and exhausting ourselves. People want, people want breath and space and margin more than ever. They want to know that a consistent normal effort will develop and deliver sustainable, predictable results. Mm. Love that. Love that. So, so when we think about... Uh, achieving change inside an organization, um, and how do we help this band of heroes um, improve their performance and actually maybe even get more meaning out of what they're doing? Uh, we want to think about what they're missing. 
And we, well, let me step back a bit. We think about this change management paradigm as leading change, leveraging people, and lifting performance. So there's mm. three steps. Lead change, leverage people, lift performance. Uh, when we think about an organization that already has these folks, this band of folks that are that are already doing great work, and they're they're competent, experienced, um, they they know what they're doing, right? How do we improve on that? We have to give them what they're missing, which tends to be that systems thinking, that organizational structure, the. Because oftentimes when we're when we're pursuing growth and we're pursuing that goal, we don't take time mm-hmm. to build the systems that can actually um, that can actually help create um, 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 that can help bring alignment among the team members, mm-hmm. so that we're wasting fewer steps and th- so that the experience is actually improved. Mm-hmm. So we think about this idea of building an operation an operating model. Um, and then adding on top of that an accountability framework that allows us to, to, to instill some discipline and create the connective tissue between the individuals on that team. So everybody really can stay the same. It's just that we improve the way they operate. So in a sales analogy, for example, instead of having 10 or 15 salespeople um, all going out into the world and doing one thing, selling, 15 different ways, <laughs> right? We think about having them go out into the world and selling in the same way. And what what ends up happening? Well, the manager's job is much more, is much, much easier, right? Because now they're not chasing cats. Now they can normalize their interactions with each team member across a, a, a single systematic approach to success. We can also now, as we innovate as one of those 15 people, share our innovations across those individuals. We can also then give our customers a single experience of our business. We can now go to market with a brand and create a brand experience that is consistent. So it doesn't matter who you talk to, you're going to get you're you're going to be treated the same way. So there's a there's an amazing amount of um, um, synergy that's created by this systems thinking and thinking about how to improve your operating model and the accountability framework within which people work. And that's what we talk about when we talk about leading change. It's that first step to making change doable by bringing the systems in place or improving the systems that are in place that everyone is depending upon to drive their success. Well, reality is so complex and it's tiring and it's overwhelming you know, you and I have talked about this. If you think about your health journey, and and we're constantly working on ourselves, developing ourselves. You learn about new supplements, new routines, and practices. We're expanding and upgrading who we are. But when you talk about having like 15 people selling 15 different ways, how do you ever figure out what really is working and what isn't? And because all of those different variables mean we have so many. It's like doing an experiment where you can't even figure out how you got the result that you did because of all the variables you can't isolate out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. This is this model of building this operational um, awareness, and now we can go repeat, 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 repeat. Right, right. And it becomes the foundation for the change that you want to seek. 
Um, in the context of sales organizations, when we focus on this first, we can see within one sales cycle, we can see improvements in productivity of 21 to 46%. And we've measured that over 10,000 working sessions. So it's not just, this is not just a theory. This is actually something that's worked in practice for many, many organizations that we worked with. Uh, the challenge here is that, the challenge here is answering the question, who's going to take the lead on this? Who inside the organization is going to champion this effort? And then who is actually going to help make it happen? Um, when I go into organizations, oftentimes for the first time, and uh, they say, we want to grow, my first question back to them is, great, whose job is growth? Mm. And what they end up saying to me is, well, that's everybody. And I end up saying, if, well, if it's everyone, then it's no one, isn't it? Sure. Because there is nobody here whose who's, um, whole existence inside this organization is tied to whether or not we are growing. And then the other thing that we see is what you alluded to earlier, which is how do we, met, how do we know we're successful? Well, in an organization like this that, that doesn't have the operating model to, to focus on, all they can do is focus on outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so they don't get the chance to track the inputs. They don't get a track, chance to track the decisions and actions that they take to produce the outcomes that they make. They're just focused on outcomes. They don't have a chance to measure and manage what they're doing. Can you think of a scenario where somebody wouldn't want a 21 to 46% growth in sales? <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds a little ridiculous when you say it out loud. It sounds ridiculous to me, and I can't believe the numbers bear this out. Um, a lot of people want it, and we've all heard this. A lot of people aren't willing to do what it takes to get there. Um, and for a lot of people, the path is confusing. The path is um, muddied. Um, there are maybe too many shadows, too many things that we can't see uh, to give us the confidence that we need to actually undertake the effort. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's the, everybody wants it, but few are willing. And if you, if you understand human nature, if you understand, you know, the law of big numbers, the reality is, yeah, if you are willing to fully accept the reality they have and explore what that means to get to that new reality that you're articulating. And uh, so we start there. That's how we understand right. change. What follows that? Right. So, so leading change, we start by eliminating the shadows that create operational risk between the heroes on our team. Mm. And we, we strive to identify the data that allows us to clarify what our gut is already telling us, right? Mm -hmm. The gut and everybody on the entire team, everybody's gut is telling them, look, man, there's got to be a better way, but nobody is taking the time to figure that out. So after we lead change, stage one, if we don't do anything else, what will happen is all those gains that we've seen uh, will end up disappearing mm -hmm. because we'll end up going back to equilib equilibrium. We'll end up going back to where we started. Um, when I talk about this idea of resetting our equilibrium, I kind of go back to my own experience, Chris, um, with diet, with nutrition, with exercise. Um, as you know, I was raised in a fourth generation restaurant business. And so everything good in life came back to food. Mm. <laughs> so, and by the way, I'm even the kind of person that when I don't feel well, or when there's some kind of 
um, disconnect for me emotionally, I go right to food. Like the easiest thing for me to feel right is to feed myself. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Uh, it could be, it could be. But I, and I know this is not an unusual thing, but what, what, what I've discovered about this idea of equilibrium is that, you know, when we get used to being a certain size or having a certain kind of level of comfort, when we, let's say, go on a diet or when we take on a new exercise routine, that new discipline takes us out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so there's an incredible emotional pull, and I know you have a lot of insight into this, that pulls us back toward the equilibrium that we were used to. Why can't I go back to where I was? Let's just go back to where we were. And so just like that happens biologically inside us as human beings, the same thing happens inside an organization. You can, you can have a, a, a wonderful experience driving significant gains for the organization through a new discipline but over time, if you don't do enough to support that new discipline, you will revert to where you were. Revert to the mean. Revert um, to the mean. It happens all the time, yeah. And so if you're going to keep people from reverting to the mean, it's taking that next frontier yeah. before yeah. the entropy sets in. Right, right. That's the next frontier. Well, it's, it, and so in a general level, it's making an investment in your people. So we've, we've, we've applied this systems thinking, right, to eliminate those shadows that create operational, operational risk. And now we're thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we uh, develop our people so they can make the most of the systems that we put in place? So now we're leveraging people in stage two. Uh, now, the beauty, uh, for me, the beauty of a team concept is that you can achieve the one plus one equals three. You can get more out of a team than you put into it. Um, you can create more. You can become that true growth multiplier in the context of a well-run uh, and well-organized team. And you can create a foundation for incredible growth if you can achieve this and maintain it. Now, if you just train your people uh, without supporting them with an operational structure, then you're going to do the same thing that we talked about. You're going to create maybe some significant gains, uh, and then over time, those are going to dissipate. What happens is when you create that operational model and then add on to it the training and development, uh, and we're thinking about you know player alignment, so making sure the right people are in the right roles. Uh, we're um, using technology to automate processes so that we can improve player productivity. And then we're thinking about player development in terms of skill sets and um, giving them the tools they need to understand how to execute at a higher level. If we do all that on top of the operating model, man, we've got an amazing foundation for growth. And it's also something that can be easily maintained because now you've got an operating model that that the leadership is sustaining and reinforcing, and you've got people now going through training and development that also reinforces uh, the best practices that you have in place. And now everybody can see how this system is going to work and how it can get better over time. It, it offsets a common problem that happens right here. It offsets where the middle don't track with you. So you actually motivate the middle. Here's what I mean. Have mm. we talked about this book, Motivating the Middle, before? On, I don't think so. Not, I don't not think, on here. Yeah, I didn't think so either. So um, crazy thing here. Everybody that leads a team or an organization, here's what you know. 
this applies in athletics, organizations, sales teams. The top are the most motivated, right? The middle, you got the middle pack and then you got the bottom. So I can't remember this guy's name to give him the cred, but the topics, the title is Motivating the Middle. He wrote a book for sororities and fraternities. And the whole book is just how to motivate your middle members. The crazy part is it's absolute genius for applying to teams and organizations. And he gives an analogy in it here that you're offsetting when you talk about this operational model. And here's what he says. Whatever you're passionate about as the team leader or organizational leader, you have it like a bowling ball. Okay? And you want them to carry the bowling ball. And the top will carry that passion with you. The middle don't carry things like that. They carry tennis balls. So they have all of these other things going on. And it's very normal and natural for a person who's a leader to try to motivate the middle the same way they motivate the top. And that's not how it works. So having something like an operational model helps offset this next return to equilibrium that you would have. You revert to the mean. You, you start to coast down some because the enthusiasm of the top gets disheartened as they see the mm. middle not running with the same passion and intensity. And it's just a different wiring and a different approach. And if you can recognize it that way, then you can not fall into that trap and operationally providing a model helps that not happen. You offset the problem of motivating the middle. Yeah, and the, and the analogy of the bowling ball and the tennis balls is just, is just fantastic. Um, leaders lose sight of what it's like to be in the middle and the middle have no concept of what's going through the minds of the leadership. And there's just that built-in disconnect that will exactly. s- will stay there if you don't address it. Yeah, and 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 you're not going to change them. You're not going to make them people who carry bowling balls. Like you know, I'm a bowling ball carrier. What am I carrying right now? <laughs> Nothing else matters. Uh, but that is not how you know a lot of the people that you need to stay on board and move with you think. So you're leveraging right. people, not just the top people, all the people. Right, right. Love that. Great analogy. Um, and so in this, in this middle stage, leveraging people, in the context of sales and selling, what we want to focus on is thinking about making how we sell a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, want to, we want to think about how we sell as a competitive advantage in a world where most salespeople sound and act the same. So the promise here for the organization is a chance to stabilize the growth that we achieved when we, in stage one, where we led change. Here we can stabilize growth, but for the individuals themselves, what they gain out of this is a chance to go to market and differentiate themselves and be the lead differentiating force for your organization as they go talk to customers. One thing that we miss when we think about sales and selling is the idea that the salesperson is actually responsible for as much as 80% or more of the differentiation communicated to a customer versus your competition. It's not your branding. Branding gets lost in the, in the selling moment and in the sales cycle. What impresses buyers the most are the salespeople who are leading them through their buying cycle. 
And if you can turn how you sell into a competitive advantage, you can create significant opportunity for the organization. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's we all do that. Think about how we all benchmark our best and worst sales experiences or customer service experiences. And we know, we know this deep down. We do not mind having a great experience. We might even seek it out and relish it. We hate having a bad one. And if you can right. bottle that, package it, and hand it out to the wholesale staff, that's it, it seems too good to be true, but I know up front watching it happen, it isn't. It's possible. Right. right. And that's the thing. It's possible. Just people stop short. Right. They get pulled we, into the equilibrium. That, yeah. And there's and to your point, there, there's that old story, people love to buy, they hate being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is that most of the way most of the techniques that salespeople are taught today. Um, feel like they're being sold or roped into or manipulated into a purchase. They also obviously feel like we just spend way too much time talking about your product or solution and really not talking enough about me, the buyer, and what kind of impact this is going to have, this decision is going to have on my business or my organization. So, yeah. So we want to turn the way we sell into a competitive advantage. And so this is a great one-two punch, leading change, leveraging people, and then it sets us up for stage three, which is lift performance. Because now the organization is finally ready to create scale. Now you have an organization that's healthy. You actually have an organization, Chris, and this is going to connect directly with what you do in your business. We have an organization that can sustain a meaningful growth culture. Because we have the systems and operations in place, we have the people who can make it happen and it's all working really well and it's all um it's all positioned a way to be highly sustainable over time yeah we can sustain it love it when i yeah, had and so uh, what's mi- go ahead no please i was, I was gonna tell you. a story just that, like when i had started i realized i hadn't been exercising working out so i started this minimum effective dose exercise which is like a kettlebell where huh. you you deadlift it and you push it out. I forget the movement now, but it's like the one exercise you can do that does the most. Then I do push-ups, then I started running. And it was like all the parts and pieces to get into place so that I could go do a 15-mile trail run. Did a 15-mile trail run feel amazing? Would I have loved to have started there? Sure. But it was the parts and pieces along the way that get to that point that you can now sustain a meaningful experience, having a top experience out running on a trail and the wind blows across the mountain peak and you're like, yes, I'm so glad to be alive. That meaningful experience came from the starts and stops and steps along the way and uh, the performance gets lifted. Right. And you, you grew, you adopted the system and you grew into the system. Yes, exactly. I still remember, like, I started doing that exercise. I was, at a time, a professor walking across campus, and I remember feeling my legs as I stepped, like, feeling so much stronger and more powerful, you know? And, hey, change happens. You get thrown off, and you got to go on this journey again. As you've achieved, the curve starts back over, and you reinvent, you find a new health baseline, and you start building the parts and pieces, and it's meaningful when you can frame it as... We're never done growing. 
Right, right. It's all just an opportunity to grow. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really important point. Uh, back to accountability framework is something that I mentioned in the leads leading change stage. Um, accountability isn't a negative thing. It's actually the only way we can do what you're talking about. We have to be able to measure um, what we're doing and be and be willing to be held accountable to what we're producing so that we can actually look for ways to improve. So we really see that uh, in the, the, the mindset of a successful person or the mindset of a growth, somebody who has a growth mindset and can actually drive um, this idea of meaningful success that we're talking about is somebody who looks for the data mm. that will allow them to tweak and improve. They don't, they, yeah, they don't, they're not happy about failing or they're not happy about underperforming by some metric, but they also recognize that there's something they can do about it. Mm-hmm. They know it. They know it deep down. They want to advance. They don't want to feel blocked. They want to feel like they can give expression to the progress, the vision that they want to see happen. And this takes all of that emotion and puts it into a process. Right, right. Right. And so when we think about, Stage three, lift, lifting performance. All we're doing is talking about now how do we create scale for this mechanism that we put in place. And and this is where we start thinking about workforce optimization. We start thinking about the people now that we're going to bring into the organization so they can continue this growth trajectory that we're on. So they can join the growth culture without disrupting the culture in a negative way. Mm. So we can bring the right people, the people that the organization needs to continue on its path. Mm -hmm. And so we should already have in place an idea of what the strategy is, what the structure is, what the roles are. We also should have a mechanism for matching people, the, the right people to the right roles. Now it's about getting the right people in the right roles at the right time as the organization needs them so that we're not um, slowing the growth. We're not um, unnecessarily um, getting in the way of our own growth. Um, and, and so this is where we're, we're bringing the right people into the organization. We're creating that lift and performance. And this is actually what creates the hockey stick. Um, after we understand the operational frameworks, after we've understood how to train people, now we can bring people that fit the operational framework and we know how to specifically onboard them and train them and develop them to optimize their performance in that role. We're no longer throwing shit against the wall to see if it sticks. We're no longer you know, uh, hoping that we hire the right folks. We know exactly who to hire. We know exactly where to put them. We know exactly how to help them achieve the objectives that they've come into the organization wanting to achieve. What, what do you say to somebody who's heard that and goes, come on, this, this is too good to be true, too good to be true. Uh, what would you tell them as a step they could take to kick the tires? I love it. Uh, and I go back to, I love just going back to the idea of nutrition, right? Because it's, it's the most important thing for me, or it dominates my life, Chris. Time and health, uh, man. But we've got to make it go as long as we can. <laughs> right, right. That's my, my whole world is around longevity. Um, and I just go back, to, I'll use the analogy of, of this journey that I've taken through health. You know, it's, you know, when I started this, I'm 50, I'll be 55 this year. When I started thinking about what I was eating back when I was in maybe elementary school or junior high, when I began wrestling as a sport, for example, um, 
my understanding back then is much different than my understanding today. The tools that we had back then as a culture, as a society, um, the science that we had was much different. So what's, what's interesting is you have to be willing to be wrong. You have to be willing to, to understand that our understanding as a society changes with time. Mm. So it's very possible that when you say, I don't believe it, yeah, based on your old view of the world, based on your, the old paradigms that you proved were wrong back in the day, which is why you're on this current course, may have changed. Mm-hmm. Just like they do with our nutrition, which I know is something that everybody thinks about. So I would say for somebody who says, I don't believe it, cool. Let's talk about the evidence that you use to create that belief system and let's explore whether or not there's any reason to, to change that belief system. And so all I, all I can tell someone is, look, here is the idea that we were bold enough to test. Here are the results. And why don't you go talk to these 15 or 20 people that experienced these results and then see, not just, not just see if they're lying to you, but let's see if their results can be replicated in your environment. You know, we, we are bombarded every day with marketing messages that say, hey, you know, this person achieved 150% growth. This person achieved supernatural transformation. Those are all great uh, marketing stories to get to pique our interest. But the question always is, yeah, but will it work for me? Mm. Yeah, but will it work in my environment? W- given my unique objectives, given my unique circumstances, that's the thing that you want to make sure you test. Mm. Mm. Love it. I love it. Well, so and come test it out because there is a guided process and it's here in front of you. Don't miss it. Yeah, we're excited about it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.